What's up, Grace Church? Uh, my name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, whether you are in Avon, Braintree, Bridgewater, or watching online, thank you for being a part of our, our weekend services. This is my first chance this year to say Happy New Year. So Happy New Year. <laughs> uh, I really am glad that you're here. We're starting a new series this weekend called uh, Better Together. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible actually uh, uh, it, it opens up, the very fir first book of the Bible opens up with a, a perfect God and a perfect world uh, with a perfect man married to a perfect woman. Um, that, that'd be awesome, right? Uh, that'd, be, that'd be fantastic. Uh, and they still managed to screw it up. I just want to throw that out there. Um, but, but before everything got jacked up, before sin entered into the world, uh, you may not know that there was already a problem. Uh, we, we know that Adam rebelled against the authority of God. He, he chose to, uh, to eat from the tree of, I get to decide for myself what's right and wrong. And that, that, that spun mankind in this horrible downward spiral uh, that we're still experiencing the consequences of. But even before uh, Adam had rejected uh, God's authority in, in his life, uh, in a perfect world, there was something that was, that was off, that, that, was, that was wrong, that, that was... was was out of place, uh, you, and you, you might not have, have thought about that before, but when God uh, created Adam, the Bible says that God uh, created him out of, out of the, the dust of, of the ground, and God spoke all of the animals into existence, uh, but when, he came, when it came to creating mankind, uh, he took a more uh, personally involved role in, in our creation. The Bible says that God created us with, with his hands, and then he breathed into us life. That's not how the animals got here. They, they were spoken into existence, and they, they had life as they were created. Uh, we had a shell, and then God breathed into his life, uh, breathed his life into us, and that's why I believe that, that mankind has a soul, and that's, that's why we're different than the animals, and that's why you know, we should be good to animals and everything, and I've got a dog named Roxy that I absolutely hate um but I'm just kidding i i love my dog roxy and i hate her we have a we have a very it's a it's a it's, it's a complicated relationship. So, like, if I were to put my relationship with my dog on Facebook, it would be, it'd be constant. I absolutely love her until she pees or poops, and then I can't stand her is all. Uh, anyway, sorry, this has nothing to do with my dog, except that we should, we should take care of animals. There's no doubt about it. It's one of the responsibilities that God gave mankind was to oversee and take care of the world and everything in it. That's one of our respons responsibilities. But he breathed into us his life. And so in that way, we actually have more value to God than the animals. And so like the animals are purely physical, uh, angels and, that, and demons, the spiritual, they're purely spiritual. We're creating the image of God. We're both physical and spiritual. So, uh, so when God creates us, uh, mankind, man specifically, and, and he exists in the world, he's the only one in the world, uh, this is the very first time ever when something wasn't right was, was in that second chapter when God said, it is, it is not good that, that man, man should be alone. Uh, because in uh, that way, we were not a very good reflection of the character and nature of, of God. Uh, because God uh, dwells, there's, there's one God who dwells together with him. It's one of these things that kind of blows my mind. We've got a word for it that we invented to kind of describe uh, God. And the word is, word is Trinity. But God, there's one God. And, and the Jewish word for one is like a cluster of grapes. So it's like a plural group of one is what that word is. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's the word that's used. But so 
than God, God was living in relationship or exists in relationship with himself. But then, then mankind is created in the image of God, but had no one to live in relationship with. And, and God said, that, that's, that's, not, that's broken. That, that's not good. And then you, you may or may not have read the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. And you don't have to even be religious to have read the first three chapters. If you've ever been in a, a hotel and picked up a Gideon Bible and started at the beginning, you probably made it at least three chapters at some point. So God causes a sleep to fall over Adam. And then God, God, God makes from Adam uh, Eve. God names Adam. And then, then Adam gets to name Eve. And so God fixes it. God fixes what, what wasn't right or wasn't complete, that, that mankind was alone. When sin entered into the world, one of the first things that w- broke as a result of our rejection of the authority of God in the world is, is that, that relationship. So mankind uh, in, enjoyed a perfect relationship with each other uh, and with God until they sinned. And what was not good at the beginning, beginning became broken again. And what you see in chapter 3 is that Adam and Eve go into hiding both from God and, and from each other. And then God brings them back to himself and then brings them. And as they got closer to him, they were getting closer to each, each other. And, and, he, and he explained the consequences uh, of, of their choice to them. And then they together were going to have to go out of this perfect place um, and, then, and then experience those consequences. But the one advantage that they had from then on was, was each other. They, 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 had, they had community. And this is something that we recognize as, as one of the needs that we have as, as humans. If you were to take any human anywhere out of their context and drop them in a foreign environment away from civilization, according to Abraham Maslow, there'd be a different set of needs that they would begin to look for in order of survival. The very first thing that mankind absolutely has to have in order to live is, is food, water, and, and air. Uh, and that's, that's like to breathe. We've got to, like if you're underwater, like you've got to get up out of that. If you're starving, you have to put food in your, if you're dying of thirst, you have to drink. Like, like that's, the very, that's the very bottom rung of the ladder. Every human needs these things to exist. And once a human has those, those three things, once they have that, they automatically begin looking for the second thing. And the second thing is shelter and safety. Like I've, I've got to get out of the elements. I've got to cover myself if I'm naked, if it's raining. I've got to get out from under the weather. That's, that's the very second thing that all humans have to have in order to, to survive and to thrive. The very third thing that every single human has to have in order to survive and thrive is belonging. That's that third rung. Like, like you have to have this. None of us were created to, to live a healthy life isolated from other people. We, we weren't created this way. It, it goes against our very nature. There's only one time in history when there was only one human and God said, that is not good. Mankind can't do this by himself. They, they, they need somebody else. So born into us, this, we have this need that I believe is God-given that we have to have and that is relationship with, with other people. We, we, must, we must have this. Um, uh, in, in fact, uh, I say that it's, I, I, I believe this is true, I mean, there's no studies on this, but it's the one thing that all of our favorite TV shows over the last 40 years have all, all had in common, is this idea of, of community.
community and, and belonging and love and acceptance and friendship and, and family and, and like the, the greatest TV series in the history of the world, and this is scientifically true, is The Office. I don't, I don't, I, I've got no study for you. I'm just telling you, The Office is the best TV show ever. And if you have Netflix, I recommend you start binge-watching that now. The first season is a little bit awkward. So if you've started watching it and you couldn't get past the third or fourth episode, hang on. Uh, Michael has got his hair slicked back. Second episode, Homeboy gets his act together. He's still a moron, but it gets really good in the second season. Second season through nine. And they've got the best one-liners in the entire world. But one of the things that we love about that is the, like, like the dream is to work in a place where your best friend is on one side, that your future love and partner for life and wife is on the other side, and, and everybody around you is, is the people that you, you, you live, love, and will spend the rest of your, your life working around. And there's a part of the show where one of the characters gets an opportunity to go start another business in another place and, and like become like a rock star there, right? But, but what, and to make all kinds of money doing that. But what he misses when he goes there was the community and love that he felt in his, in his crappy job. So he goes back to this crappy job selling paper because he was a healthy person, a healthier person there. Parks and Rec came after that. And, and it's the same type of thing. We, we want to work in a place where people become family. We want more than just our blood relatives to, to live our lives with. Like we, we crave this. Uh, they, they say that people don't quit bad jobs. They quit bad bosses, right? Like we, we want to work in a place where we can thrive. And we measure that not just by the amount of money we make because some of you intentionally make Make less money because of where you work than what you could make if you took another job at another place of work, right? Like we know this. Like quality of life matters, and we measure quality of life. Yes, we have to have enough money to live, but we measure quality of life by the by the by the quality of of, of community that we have all around us. Uh, going back before before the office, you you had uh, Seinfeld. Same thing. It was a group of people uh, where you fit in, where you're loved, friends who become family, like like family. Right, and then and then you, you well there you go you got friends that TV show right friends uh, back before that it was it was Cheers uh, back before Cheers it was it was Mash right now I'm going way back and if you're under 35 you th you think I'm talking about potatoes when I say Mash um, but. But Google it. Um, <laughs> Hawkeye, and, and that's the only one I remember. Hawkeye. I don't know. Remember, I, it's a cool name. I, probably the only reason. Oh, and Radar. I remember Radar because he's from Ottumwa, Iowa, and my sister was born in Ottumwa, Iowa. And again, everybody 40 and under, I've already lost you, and I apologize. All right. My point is, like, since the 70s, the TV shows that resonate most with the most number of people are those TV shows where you get random people together in close proximity who learn how to live life in a healthy, loving, accepting way. Like that's, that's where we thrive. And somehow, when we see this in other places, we crave that for ourselves. And the point I'm trying to make is that this is the way that God has designed us. Uh, and, and, and God describes this a little bit in 2 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bible, go, go to 2 Corinthians. Uh, but, but right before we, we, we turn there, I, I want to say this, that, that following God requires that we live our lives differently after than, than we did before. And, and that, that makes sense. Um, just like, just like uh, being married to my wife, Billy Jane, requires that I live differently after 
I married Billy Jane than before I married Billy Jane. Um, uh, before I married Billy Jane, I hung out in the guys' dorms and, and hardly ever wore anything more than boxers as soon as class was out. Uh, I can't, um, w- once I got married, I stopped hanging out in, in, in the boys' dorm. All, eh, the boxer thing stayed the same. But um, I didn't hang out like with the boys all the time, and I, and I wasn't playing Legend of Zelda until 2 a.m. anymore. My, my wife went to bed at 9 o'clock. Dear Lord, in heaven, um, and and I was a late night owl. I'm just saying, my whole life changed, and that was that was that was part of the package, and and I and I knew that. Now I, I want to make this clear that our life doesn't change so that we can become married, but when we become married, life changes. But it's not just in marriage. It's it's not like you 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 go through boot camp so that they'll let you in the army. You decide whether or not if you want to be in the army, and then if you're in the army, then boot camp is a part of the package. Does this make sense? Like you don't go out and learn how to run the place so that Bill Belichick will draft you onto the world's best NFL team in all of human history. Like, but, but if you get drafted onto the team, now there's going to be new plays that you learn. Does this make sense? So what we're talking about today is I'm, I'm not trying to add a burden to you if you're not a devoted follower of Jesus. Your first decision is whether or not you want to turn from the brokenness that is in you to be rescued from that, to, to no longer be eternally separated from God, but to be drawn into a relationship with God by faith in Jesus who died for those sins that separate you from him or not. That's your first choice. Just like I, the decision wasn't, do, am I going to start going to bed at 9 o'clock and, and stop, I was going to say, lighting my farts on fire. But I, I don't want to tell you I did that, so I'm glad I didn't tell you I ever did that. But I'm just saying, like, I don't make those decisions, like, like that's not what I do so that I can get married. I make the decision, I'm going to enter into this relationship knowing that things are going to change. But I made the choice up front before entering into this relationship that if this relationship is going to work and be healthy, there are things about my life that must change. And the exact same thing is true if you're going to be a devoted follower of Jesus. The first thing Jesus ever said when he started preaching in all four of the Gospels was, you've got to repent of your sins and believe in me. So you've got to, first of all, choose whether or not you're done living with you in the middle of it. He said that right up front because that's going to change everything about if you can't repent from your sins, if you can't let go of your world being around you, you'll never be able to make your world revolve around Jesus. So he just shows up and he says, do you want something different from here forward? Right? I think part of our problem is that we look at Christianity as an app that we add to our phone that we click whenever we need it. When in reality, it's a completely different operating system. Right? But we treat it like an add-on. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, it doesn't work that way. He said, if you want to follow me, here's what you need to do. You need to deny yourself. (laughs) That's a big request. He's saying, you got to get over you. And you need to be willing to sacrifice. He says, and take up a cross which now is about religion, then it was about death. It was a torture device used by the Romans against the Jews. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, he's saying, you've got to decide if you can stop being all about you and if you're willing to lay down your life for me and actually live like I live. You've got to decide that. And if you can't do that, then, then this isn't for you. 
So you and I, those of us who have made the choice to, we've, we've chosen to accept that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that God accepts on our behalf. When we entered into this relationship by faith, dear God, I accept your payment for my sin was for me. Well, I would never ask you to die for me. Jesus, since you volunteered, I'd be crazy to ignore it. So take away my sin too. Help me to follow you. Those of us who've chosen to go that direction, God, I'm turning from my life. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you automatically become perfect any more than me saying I do to Billy Jane made me automatically a perfect husband on day one. I was 100%, and that was, somebody laughed in here. That was an inappropriate place to laugh is me not being a perfect husband. I just want to put that out there, all right? I wasn't automatically a good husband the day I said I do, but I was automatically a 100% husband. Are you with me? And the day you turn from sin and begin following Jesus, doesn't make you automatically the perfect Christian, but dang it, it makes you 100% automatically Christian. Right? Then it's a process. But it's a process that I signed up for the day I said I do to Jesus. Right? And so it's that idea that we're getting at in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 6. Verse 17. God is calling to those in verse 16 that he says, I will live in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Verse 17. Therefore, my people, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. This is, what does he mean by this? Uh, the church I grew up in meant that, uh, that this meant that you couldn't do anything people who weren't Christians did. So if people who aren't Christians go to movies, and I can't go to movies, uh, and I grew up in a really conservative, super strict church, uh, it, was, it, was, it was Baptist Amish, I think is what it was, which isn't a real religion. It's not a real religion, but my church tried to invent it. Um, uh, and I, my girls couldn't wear pants because girls in the world wear pants. Uh, they let their wives wear makeup, though. And I don't know. Uh, apparently, they had seen their wives without makeup and preferred it the other way. Maybe. I don't know what that was all about. Uh, it seemed really random, though. Like, uh, like it, was, it was like, what does, what does God... What does, obviously, it doesn't mean that you can't be friends with people who are far from God because Jesus was a friend of who? Sinners. In fact, that was one of the things that the religious elite had against him most, is that he was so comfortable around people who were so far from God. So he's not talking about proximity. Paul says in another passage of Scripture that if this meant that you couldn't be friends with people who are far from God, then you couldn't even exist in this world because this world is filled with people who are far, far from God. So that's not what he's talking about. He explains what he's talking about in the, in the next verse. The next verse, he says, uh, or excuse me, at the end of that verse, verse 17, uh, separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch uh, their filthy things, and, and I will welcome you. He says, I'd, I just want you to know that when you chose uh, to be in a relationship with me, I chose, right? I chose to draw you. You accepted, and now I have become a part of, of your life. And this means that the way you live your life after being in a relationship with me is going to be a lot different than the way you lived your life before you entered in a relationship with me. And one of those things are the things that you do. The things that are no longer appropriate for those who are going to claim the, the name of Jesus. And then it gets to this next verse and he says, 
And to those of you, I will be your, this is verse 18, I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I will adopt you into my family is the point that he's trying to make, chapter 7, verse 1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear, not afraid, but respect. I, I fear and respect my father, but I'm not afraid of my father, right? Like I have a healthy respect. I'm, 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 I'm 48 years old. My, my dad's in his 70s. And, and if, and if, it, and if like I, the idea of me getting fresh with my dad, even though I could probably take him and he watches every weekend, dad, you're, at, you're 71, I could probably take you now. Is all I'm trying to say. Probably should. I'm, <laughs> now I feel really bad. I shouldn't have even said that because my mom's probably watching too. And she's like, he shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have said that. This is respectful. And I wouldn't. You know why? Because I have a healthy fear and a respect. Like, my, my, like I, I have a healthy fear of my father. When I was 15, my dad and I were wrestling on the living room floor. And my dad told me later that he could tell that I was physically stronger than him. And because he was like brown belt in judo or whatever, he, he, he hurt me because he's a jerk. And then, like, seriously, he... He put a move on me and made me, ah, like that. And then, and then uh, to this day, honestly, we've, we've never wrestled like that. And later on, he had said uh, uh, that, that the reason why he intentionally hurt me was so that I wouldn't win. Uh, and that's also why he never wrestled me again. But he said to me uh, about a week after that, he said, just so you know, if uh, you ever rise up against me, I honestly believe God would supernaturally empower me to put you down. Uh, he's, he's, he's 70, 70 years old. I still believe that's true. I think if I rose up against my dad, God would give him that old lady who lifted up the car strength, right? Like, oh, remember that story? The old lady who lifted up the car so the baby could get out or whatever? Like, I think my dad would get that kind of, kind of like, I have this healthy fear and respect. And that's, that's what it's talking about. It's because of, of our respect for God and what he's called us to, it should change the way that we live our lives is the point that he's, he's trying to make. Uh, Galatians chapter, chapter 6 uh, goes into more description about what this is going to look like for all of us and in, in the way that we live in and around uh, community, uh, both with those who, who are out, outside of faith. And, and this particular passage deals with those who are, uh, who are running in the, in the same direction that you're running in. Because the truth is, most of us, uh, the majority of our friends are still spiritually disconnected from God. I know that that's true for me. It's, it's probably true for you also. Most of my friends are still disconnected from God. And now that you've chosen to turn from your disconnection from God, your disobedience towards the commandments and your selfishness towards your, your fellow man to begin following after Jesus, the, the truth is, you now, some of you, are living in isolation as a follower of Jesus in community with people who don't share your worldview now. And this is going to have a negative impact on your ability to continue running in the direction that God's calling you to run in. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, the, Paul is wrapping up his letter to a church he had started. Uh, and, he, and he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if, a, if, another believer is, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation uh, as, as yourself. And, and, and this, this is a tough one. 
um, it, it gets a little bit awkward and, and, un, and uncomfortable and, and truthfully messy. But when Paul talks about us and our relationship with each other, one of the first things he encourages us is to make sure that we, we, we help each other get back up and, and on, the, on the right track again. But I don't know in what context this is happening for you. Because if your only like Christian experience is showing up on the weekends in this room to hear me talk to you about what God's doing in my heart through the, through the Bible, I don't know where you're getting the opportunity to help other people who are spiritually struggling keep moving. And I'm wondering how many of you right now, for real, are spiritually drying up. And nobody knows it. And the very real danger is that you're going to continue becoming more and more unhealthy, drifting farther and farther and farther away, disconnected, from your relationship with God who is your father. You are becoming his estranged child. And that's, that's, not, that's not his plan. What did this actually look like in the very first church? How did, how did they do this? Like in what context were they able to take care of each other? And to answer that, keep your finger. If you got a little tassel in your Bible or you got your cell phone app, you could just hit back arrow in a minute. But we're going to go to uh, Acts chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, go to Acts, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read for you just two verses out of Acts chapter 2. The first one uh, is verse 40, 44, uh, where it says, and this is a description, by the way, of the, the very first church after the very first sermon. There's, there's 120 people who are devoted followers of Jesus. That's it. He'd done all this stuff for three years. He died for the sins of the world, rose from the dead, and, and there's 120 people who are followers of Jesus. Now, there were, there were hundreds, maybe thousands more, who had seen Jesus physically after his resurrection. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, I, as a rational, intelligent adult, and don't we all think we're rational and intelligent, uh, even if we're not, uh, but one of the reasons why I really do believe in the resurrection of Jesus is that when Christianity became illegal 30 years later because they said that Jesus had risen from the dead, making him God, which meant that Caesar wasn't, which made them a threat to Rome, which is the reason why they started torturing Christians, all they had to do to not be tortured anymore is say that they made up that he rose from the dead. That's all they would have had to do. Just say, we made it up. And the idea that the 12 disciples, just the 12 disciples, because if you and I made up a religion that became illegal and then we were going to be tortured to death unless we changed our story, like, <laughs> I'd roll on you real quick. Uh, and like, like people, people will die for false religions. People will die for a lie they believe. But nobody dies for a lie they made up. You get that first generation of hundreds, maybe thousands of eyewitnesses who were all tortured to death and none of them crack. None of them. Not even one. Like what are the odds of that? Right? It's the reason why Christianity grew faster during the lifetime of eyewitnesses than at any other time in all of history since. Because there was more solid proof. People could go ask somebody who actually saw it. And it was that first sermon that Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2. He gets to the end where he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, which they don't even argue because apparently it was already commonly known that that had happened. Their only question was, what do we need to do with this? 
Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, he says, you need to repent of your sins. He said the same thing Jesus said. And then do what Jesus did when he started. And that's be baptized. Then that verse 41 says that, that at the end of this sermon, 3,000 people turn from sin, begin following Jesus, and are baptized underwater as a demonstration of their faith in Jesus' death, his burial, and resurrection as a payment for their sin. So in one week, this church goes from 120 people to 3,120 people. <laughs> That's church growth like the world ain't never seen. Right? And then they stopped counting the number of people who were coming to faith in Jesus. It was, it was growing that fast. So how do 12 disciples, 11 disciples, Judas had committed suicide. There's another guy named Matthias who takes his place. We're not going to get into that. How do these 12 leaders care for the spiritual development of 3,000 people. That's, that's here. I'll show you. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. All the believers, that's the whole church, that's all 3,120 of them, met together in one place. We find out in verse 42 that when they, one of the things that they did when they met together is they, they prayed together. Uh, we find out from another passage of Scripture, they sang worship songs, which is what we do when we get together. Uh, they also uh, listened to the apostles' teaching. And so every weekend we get together and we're, we're sharing the, what, they, what they taught, what, what they wrote. So we're doing the exact same things uh, they did then. Uh, they also gave uh, financially toward the mission of God, which is what we do at the end of every service, which is what it says here in verse 44. All the believers met together in one place, which is what I wanted to show you, shared everything they have, verse 46, and they worshiped together at the temple every day so that the, the building was, was always open for them to come in and pray. And here's what they did. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. That's how they got close enough to find out when somebody was overcome with sin. Is they, they knew each other. They didn't all know the apostles because it was never about the apostles. It was about Jesus. It was about the mission of God and what God was trying to do in and through them. And they didn't need direct access to Peter. They had direct access to God. That's all they needed. But all of our hearts individually have a tendency in a default setting towards selfishness. And what they really needed was just somebody else who was running in the same direction after Jesus who just knew them well enough to be able to tell when their default settings started to kick in. So they met in each other's homes throughout the week. You can read it. They, they had meals together. They they, they hung out. They, they Even in these smaller gatherings, they, they did communion together. They didn't always do communion when they gathered together in the one large group because they were in Solomon's temple, the Solomon's porch, which is the, the Gentile porch where, where Gentiles, non-Jewish people, could, could come to the temple and, and worship God. That's where they had their church services so that those who were non-Jewish could be a part of it. And there were so many people there, like 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 pragmatically, it was just, it was too impractical to be able to serve communion to this number of people, so they did it when they were in their, their, smaller, their smaller life groups. That's how they actually, that's what they did. Now, they weren't doing that before they became followers of Jesus. They started doing that after they became followers of Jesus, which meant that they had to prioritize something that had never been a part of their life before. If this wasn't already a part of their life, then their life was filled up with the same stuff that we fill up our schedules with. Life. 
But when they began to prioritize what God was trying to do in their heart and in the lives of people who were also following Jesus, they rearranged their lives to make room for other people that they had never made room for before. They chose to say no to some things so that they could say yes to a better thing. And from then on, their lives were different. Go back to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is how they were able to recognize. And the point here is this. We can't just watch people fall away from faith. We can't just watch. And what I want you to know is, if you don't get connected outside of just the weekend gathering in your first seven to eight months, the numbers and our track record shows, you fall away. Because you can't follow Jesus alone. You can't live alone. You can, like, what can you do all alone and be healthy? I mean, all the time. Sabbath, yeah, that, that, I mean, <laughs> some of you mamas, you're like, I would just like to be alone once. That would be nice. If I could be alone once, that would be fantastic. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm like, you can't live in isolation. You wither up on the inside. You dry up, you die, you become unhealthy. Verse 2, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ? Do you remember? The law of Christ. They said, what's the greatest rule? What's the greatest law? And he said, the law of Jesus was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we have applied that as having positive thoughts and feelings for other people. But what we don't want to do is be is being convenienced by other people. But how can you say you love someone who doesn't feel loved by you? Then do you? Like if they don't feel loved, then I don't know if there's much evidence that you love. Right? So he says, we've got to get close enough, and truthfully, this is going to require transparency at some point. And more inconvenience that I would share your burden. Because I can't, I can't share everybody's. But you can share everybody's. Are you with me? In this room, we have the people to take care of everybody in this room. We have it right here. You're part of God's plan. There's somebody in here that you're going to get along with and click with. You like cigars, he likes cigars. Right? You like politics, they like politics. Just don't talk about it in life group. That's a rule. It's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> it's in the original Hebrew or Greek. I'm not sure. We'll find. I'll make up a verse about that. We don't do that in life groups. We don't talk. I'm just saying, you're going to find somebody who's chasing after Jesus who you're going to be cool with. But if all you ever do is show up on the weekends and you never put yourself out there, I don't know if you can actually live the life that Jesus actually says you need to leave, live. I know for a fact you can't do what Paul says you're supposed to do. You can't. 
Because you never put yourself in that environment. Verse 3. If you think, oh, oh, by the way, you know the one reason why we don't want to do this? It's the same reason I don't. My wife and I sat out of life groups for a couple of years. And, and, and sadly, it's, it's, I don't even want to tell you that. Now it makes me look bad. You haven't read verse 3. I have, and it makes me look bad. Here's the reason. Number three, here's the reason why you won't. If you think you're too important to help somebody, you're only fooling yourself. <laughs> then Paul says, you ain't all that. Right? I mean, the truth is, what I have going on in my life is more important to me than what you have going on in your life. And if I take time to include you in my life, that is going to be inconvenient. Because dang it, I'm busy. You busy, yes or no? Dang it, we're all busy. We're all bu- but the truth is, you make time for what you want. The thing is, what, what we want isn't the same thing as what Jesus wants for us. So we have a choice on whether or not we're willing to realign our lives and keep growing in our relationship with God or say no to Jesus. I got this one. I don't trust you right now. Because that is essentially what you're going to, all right, dude, you're going to be really heavy about this whole life group thing. Because what God prioritizes is the fact that you can't keep growing if the only part of your religious experience is you listen to me talk about how I'm growing. That, that's what's true. You, this is a great first step. This is a fantastic first step. And some of you guys ain't even taking this step regular. So like I'm not like, like seriously, it would be awesome for you to just take a couple of extras of those steps. That would be great. I'm talking like those of you guys who are taking steps or those of you guys who are not taking a whole lot of steps, but truthfully you recognize I need more than what I'm getting. I'm telling you, the Bible agrees with you. God agrees with you. You need more than, than what you're getting. Go to, go to, go to verse, go to verse four. Uh, verse four says, uh, uh, now, now listen. So verses one through three talk about my responsibility to others. Uh, verses four and five talk about my responsibility for myself, where he says in verse four, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. And truthfully, one of our biggest struggles is, is comparison. Uh, the, like, like honestly, like, like everybody in this room is wealthier than 95% of the rest of the people on this planet. But, but you don't feel wealthy because you're not comparing yourself to those people. You're comparing yourself to other people who have more. And the point that he's trying to make here is the way you get past that is measure yourself today by where you were when God first rescued you. He says, pay attention. You've got work to do. And what I want you to measure yourself against, your own relationship with God, your relationship with God is not measured against Pastor Sean's relationship with God. Your relationship with God is not measured against your parents' relationship with God. It's not, mer- not measured against the person sitting next to you. It has nothing to do with that. Your relationship with God should be measured by you where you were a week ago, a month ago. Are you with me? That's my focus. So my focus isn't on, like, like how am I doing versus how he's doing or how she's doing. My focus is how am I doing versus where I should be at this stage in my relationship with, with God. Verse 5. Verse 5 says, for we are each responsible for our, for our own conduct. And we're going we're gonna to read to verse 10. And verse 6, 
I, I don't get it all. Uh, because right in the middle of all of this, he says, uh, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, uh, sharing all good things with them. Uh, so that means that the church is responsible to take good care of their pastors. So uh, we're all going to memorize this Bible verse. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> like me and, me and uh, Pastor Steve from the Bridgewater location, we're talking about this. And like, we're like, how heavy do we lean into this verse right here? <laughs> and we're, we're just joking about it. We're, and, and he said, uh, so what he said we should do. So this is my idea. So we're taking up a special love offering every, I'm just Grace Church takes fine care of us. We're going to move on to verse 7. Get right back at it. Here we go. Verse 7. Uh, don't, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And this echoes what Pastor, Pastor uh, talked about uh, last week, uh, Ken and, and Pastor Taylor. Uh, like, you will get out of your relationship with Jesus what you're willing to put into your relationship with Jesus. This is that verse that says you reap what you sow. And you've heard what karma is, right? Karma's a, right? And now you know why. Now you know why. God says, like, the reason why this is, is because you have a part to play in, in where you go from here. Like, you can sit right here and get stuck here as long as you want. And, and, and your relationship with, can just be about a weekend service. But, but you're going to stay where you're at, and you're not going to. And that'd be like just me saying to Billy Jane, I'm sorry, I, I want to live in the dorms even though I'm married to you. Like, I'm 100% married. I'm just a horrible husband, right? But if I want to grow in this relationship, if I want this thing to work out, then I can't still be the guy like, like to her that I was to her last year. Homeboy needs to, like, get off his but, and I don't want this to be used against me by her, so I'm glad she's not here this weekend, all right? I'm just like, but homeboy needs to keep working on a homeboy, right? Because if I don't, I will reap what I have sown. And if I have sown nothing into my marriage, I will get jack from it, right? That, he's just saying, this is, there's a role you, you play. That's, that's the point, he, point he's making. Keep going, verse 8. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature... Will, will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life, life from God. The point that he's trying to make is that focusing on yourself will suck the life out of you. But your focus on the life that God is leading you into will ultimately fill your tank. Now you either trust God to be telling the truth or you're betting that he's lying to you. And you keep doing it the way you've, you've been doing it. Next verse, verse 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is, what is good because this is a continual process. My, my living my life, readjusting my life to make room for people who are other followers of Jesus. This doesn't replace my friends who are far from God because it's God's plan that this relationship I have with my friends in Stoughton who are disconnected from God could be leveraged at some point if for nothing else than spiritual conversations as they bring them up. And, and like, like the best case scenario would that, like some of my neighbors have actually come to turn from sin to begin following Jesus and been baptized and are now a healthy part of Grace Church. So God's plan would not be for me to let go of every friend that I have who's distant from God, but to live in community and to share my life with those who are chasing after the ways of Jesus. Why? Because there's going to be days when I get off track and I need somebody who notices that Sean ain't at church this weekend. If you skip next week, 
there's a good chance no one will know. Unless your faith in Jesus in this church family has gone beyond the weekend service and you're now in a life group because then somebody knows you. They can go, hey, bro, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Hope you're doing all right. Met a dude outside the service today. Walked up and said, hey, I feel like I haven't talked to you in forever because you've been gone two weeks. I just don't want to make him feel bad about it. I said, hey, I haven't talked to you in forever. He said, yeah, we've been, and they were sick. But I knew to ask this person that question because we used to be in a group together. So now this person and me have a relationship that extends beyond a stage and a pew. You need something that goes beyond a stage and a pew or you'll dry up. Right back at it, verse 10. It's a grind. Don't get tired of doing what is good because it's, it's, it's a continuous process. It's a continuous process of me rearranging my life to include other people. Me rearranging my life to include other people. Me rearranging. And it's always going to be inconvenient and it's always going to be easier to just stay at home and watch TV. It's always going to be easier. It just ain't going to be healthier. So he says, don't give up in doing this. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. The truth is, you should be a good person to everybody. But you owe an additional obligation to those who share your faith to be good to. And I'm just wondering in your personal life where you've made room for that. Because this is part of what it looks like. Listen, if all you ever do is lift weights but you don't change the way you eat, you're going to stay fat. You'd be strong, but you'd be strong fat. <laughs> like if you want to get in shape, it's more than just signing up for the gym. Some of you guys have just signed up to show up to the gym. And like, that's, this ain't it. Now, we don't do these things so that we could be a member of the gym. We do these things because we already became a member. I don't do these things so that I can be a Christian. I already became a devoted follower of Jesus. This is just part of the package of me becoming more like Christ. Or I say no to it, and I stay stuck. This is part of me becoming a better husband. Or I can say no to it and live like a moron in the dorms. <laughs> Sorry, I'm remembering some of the things me and my friends did in the dorm. And Billy Jane wouldn't tolerate any of that. Right? Well, you, you could stay stuck or you could not. And it's going to depend on whether or not you're willing to make your faith about more than a stage and a pew. So I got a few questions. Number one, have you been adopted into God's family as one of his sons and daughters? Because I'm not saying that what you need to do is everybody needs to go get in a life group. That's not what I'm saying. I, that's just, it's a, it's a method that our church uses so that you can do what's actually in the Bible. But if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're not sure, I'm not saying you need to do any of this. You need to evaluate whether or not you've gone all in in your relationship with God. Second question. How long will your faith be confined to a weekend service? Before you just give up on this because it ain't working. Because that is where you will get. 
And it won't be because this church dropped the ball by God's grace. It'll be because it was enough to get you to step one. You're on the team. Step two, it's you. You've been drafted. Now you got to put on a jersey and show up to practice. You see what I'm saying? Like, like, this is your next step. Three, are you willing to prioritize other followers of Jesus and make room for new people in your life? That's, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's, that's the hard part. And if so, how will you adjust your life to make your role here with other followers of Jesus more important to you? And those are questions I can't answer. That's between you and God. So I'm going to give you a chance to answer them. If you would, please bow your head. God, I love you with all of my heart, and I'm thankful that you forgive us for every one of our sins. Jesus, I would never ask you to die for me, but since you volunteered, I would be crazy to ignore it. Love you with all of my heart, and I'm thankful for grace. I'm thankful for mercy. I'm thankful for second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. I'm thankful for all of those things. God, I'm asking that your will is done in my life and that your will is done in each one of our lives. And while your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, you get to decide whether or not you are willing to go all in as a follower of Jesus. And if you are, then you need to do what Jesus said. Are you willing to turn from sin, turn your, from living disobediently towards God and selfish towards others and live following Jesus? Do you accept that his death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing God accepts as a full payment for what you've done wrong in life? And are you willing to follow him? If you have, then the next question. If not, tell him, God, I'm all in. I'm all about this. I believe, like, I accept that what you did was enough. And I am all in. I'm committed to the process of becoming the person that you want me to be. Maybe you've been coming here for a while, and honestly, this is where your faith stays. It stays in a room. But you're willing to take it beyond the weekend experience. Could you tell that to God? God, help me to do more with this. Some of you guys, the idea of showing up at somebody else's house is terrifying. God, give me courage. Help me to meet a friend here who's already in a life group that I can go with. I think that's the best way to do it. God, help me to find a friend in this church family who I'm cool with, who's already in a group that I can go with so I don't feel alone. God, help me to prioritize other followers of Jesus and help me to find a few friends who are going in the same direction I want to go in. God, let my life be the life you want it to be and do in me whatever you want so that you can do through me whatever you want. Can you make that your prayer? God, this is the thing that we ask, and we ask it in the name of Jesus, and we all pray and say together, amen.